say something good to her. Something full of faith. Speaking to one another, the Bible says. Sometimes we've got to talk to one another. And Lord will help us to encourage and motivate. Lord, I thank you this morning for this time together today. We rejoice in the opportunity to open up the book that you've given us and to to hear in, in, in our hearing and in our ears, Lord, the word of God. We pray today that you would touch our hearts and our minds, that you would affect and change our very ways of thinking, Lord, that we would be more like you and we would become patterned after you, that we would mature and grow in you, O Lord, and that is our aim and goal. And I believe your desire is to help us with that. And so we employ your spirit today in this, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. you. May be seated this morning. We are talking today uh, along the lines of what we have been uh, discussing the past few weeks uh, uh, from the book of Acts. Although our text today is not in the book of Acts, we have already, uh, from the book of Acts, uh, talked about this setting today, but we are looking today in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to revisit this setting, uh, but with a different focus this morning. So our, our text this morning in your bulletin uh, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1 through 12. It's also on our overhead this morning. We're going to read together for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before, and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in God. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is a witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as Christ, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we have behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you may walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Amen. So this uh, passage of scripture this morning, uh, 
Paul talks about how affectionate he was toward these believers in the city of Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, to whom he's writing this letter. And he uses terms here like as a mother or as a nurse. And nurse there uh, is indicative not of a nurse as we think, but as a, a mother who nurses or a nursemaid who substitutes for a mother in nursing children. He said, like, like that, or like a father, he says. Uh, you're our witnesses, and God is, how, how that we loved you, we were affectionate towards you, uh, we, we ministered to you. These are uh, important terms, and I believe that God would have us to know that he places people in our lives for his purpose to love and care for us. Can I get an amen here? Amen. amen. God, God does that. I've always thought of how awesome it is that in God's, God's great plan, he designed it so that a child could not come into this world without the participation of a mother and a father. Right. That, that's the grace of God. I'm thankful for that. Yes. And so, uh, but when it comes to the church, of course, it is, it is so very true that God does uh, provide for and place in individual believers' lives people that will, uh, that will care for them and nourish and love them. And uh, if you think about the model of ministry, that model for ministry that motherhood is. Uh, it's, it's very uh, fitting and appropriate. We cannot just allow new believers to uh, fend for themselves. That's but they need tender, loving care and nurture and, and protection and all the things that a mother provides, as well as that of the father, because he mentioned the father also. But these these infants need to be fed with the the uh, the sincere milk of his word, and so God has designed it as such. Now, uh, I want to just open up here this morning with a little bit of mental exercise for each one of us. I want us to think just a little bit here today. When it comes to uh, circumstances, events that happen in our lives, I want to ask you a question. Is there such a thing as a divine appointment? We believe that sometimes God sets things up. Might appear like random chance, but it's, it is an act of God. <coughs> He is ordained, put together. That's right. And, and strategized and, and designed. Not just a coincidence, is it? God can, he, he can work things. It, it might appear like just a random selection. Even, even a random selection that a computer might do. Somewhere in an office somewhere that would bring about an appointment or a connection. I'll share a story with you in a few minutes about that uh, very, very thing happening. God 
putting something together like that. But people who refuse to believe in God, it's, I mean, they have to write off these kind of things uh, as, as just, you know, maybe a series of random events that just happened. Somehow it came together like this. And, and because they have to dismiss these things as just being ordinary stuff that just happens. It's, it's foreign to their minds to think uh, that, that, that God, that there could be a God who would who, who would design things in advance to happen in our lives. It's uh, I'll tell you what it takes. It takes the measure of faith Amen. that God has given to every man. We'll use that measure of faith. We'll understand that first of all, God is intricately involved. In our lives, like a mother, like a father, he is very much involved in our lives. And, and he looks like a father or a mother to care for us, to, to as his children, to, to take care and to provide for us and to uh, make sure that we have the experiences that we need to learn, to grow, to mature, to be healthy, to be what we were created to be. God, God's going to do that. So let me share this. Uh, I'm going to read something to you. This is from uh, a book about one of our missionaries, Benny DeMerchant, who flew for many years. He was a pilot in, in Brazil and flew up the Amazon River all over distant places in that vast uh, country of Brazil uh, carrying the gospel. And... Uh, he, he, he was known as the flying missionary. He, he just, he, his, uh, he, he lived in a plane like we live in cars, pretty much. He, he traveled everywhere, and, and many of the stories that can be told, we've, we've actually seen some missionary videos of Brother DeMerchant in his plane. And so I, I want to just share this story with you. It's from a book called Still Flying Full Throttle. It's about Brother DeMerchant. Here's what it says. It said, Benny took a judge with a fear of flying way up the Japura River to Villa Bittencourt. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that exactly right. The mayor of Kawari had asked the judge to investigate reports of electoral fraud. The judge's visit would surprise everyone in this remote Brazilian town on the Colombian border. He would examine the sealed ballot boxes and decide if the seal had been violated before arriving by boat in Manaus. From the time Benny whirled the propeller to start the engine to taxi for takeoff on the Solomos River, he explained every function of the plane and how it worked. The judge became so interested and relaxed that he enjoyed the flight. To Benny's surprise on returning to Manaus, the judge told him he was the only person who had been able to relieve his fear of flying. Later, after the judge had been transferred to Manaus, the computer pulled his name to preside over a law case that involved the United Pentecostal Church of Brazil. A rebellious pastor who had fallen into sin was given the church leaders fits in Manaus and refused to budge from the building. The church prayed hard for help. Benny believed that uh, believes there were about 19 judges at the time of the trial and the computer chose the one 
who had flown with him and knew him. He felt this was the hand of God. The judge told Benny's lawyer that when he saw Benny's name and signature on the document, he was not even going to read it because he knew that Benny laid the merchant would give him what he was asking for in the process. United Pentecostal Church of Brazil won the case. Benny won six other cases brought against the church. He attributed that to the goodwill he established while flying judges and legislators and mayors and governors of the Amazon estate around. See, uh, you know, we could look at that and we could say that's just chance. But, but out of approximately 19 judges, the one selected is the one whom he had made acquaintance with and had left a good impression with. And, uh, you know, that, that happened before these events would transpire, before there would be trouble, before there would be requirement of a lawsuit and all of that stuff, before any of that ever happened, God sets some events in motion that appear to mean nothing really, but yet there was, uh, there was distinctly God's hand that could be seen in it when you look back down the road. How many has happened events like that in your life? I know I have. Amen. I've had stuff like that happen to me. Amen. So, so, we've already talked about this story, but let me just share very quickly the events, but look at it from the reflection of how that God brings people into our lives and, and orchestrates things like this. Um, so Paul is preaching. He's in Philippi. You remember he suffered persecution there and, and, and escaped Philippi and comes to, uh, he comes next to the city of Thessalonica. It's there that at first he has great success. He does what he always does. He goes to the synagogue and he there uh, uh, speaks and uh, presents his case for Jesus being the Messiah from the Hebrew scriptures that they held dear among the Jews in the synagogues. He shows how that he would be, it was prophesied that he would suffer and that these things would happen to him. And, and this is exactly what had happened to Jesus. And he has, he has success there, and, uh, significant success. There are many of the Jews, and there's a great multitude of devout Gentiles, and the Bible says of women that were convinced. So he had success, but not everybody believed. There were Jews who didn't believe, and they stirred up in, uh, the people. There was envy. Uh, they, and, and they gathered a mob, and they, they caused quite a quite an, an incident in uh, these that they come looking for, for Paul and Silas and uh, so they the first place they went was to a fellow's name house his name, his name was Jason the Bible doesn't tell us much about Jason other than he was a believer but they thought that's where Paul would be and uh, for Paul's sake and Silas' sake fortunately he wasn't uh, but they dragged Jason uh, before the, the, the leaders of this uh, instigated mob and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and 
they threatened them. They all kind of things happened as a result of that, and uh, you know, they believed, or they were stirring up the crowd to believe that Paul and Silas was teaching things that was contrary to Roman law and uh, to Caesar himself and proclaiming Jesus to be king when Caesar was king and this was unlawful and would bring the Romans down on them and they were just stirring up the mob in every way that they could about this kind of thing. But as soon as, as Jason was released, he immediately finds Paul and Silas and helps them to, to escape, to slip away in darkness. And they go to a place called Berea. Remember, the Bereans were more noble because they daily searched the scriptures to see if what Paul preached was truth. And so at Berea, uh, once again, Paul and Silas go to the synagogue and, and, and they, they're having success there too as these people are searching the scriptures and all of that. But the Jews uh, back at Thessalonica heard that Paul was down there at the synagogue in Berea preaching the same message he had preached there. And so they came looking for him and intended to stir up the people in Berea against them like they had done at their home. And, and But the believers there in Berea wasted no time in helping Paul and Silas to get away by sea. But they left uh, Timothy there. Also, uh, Paul got away. They, they slipped Paul away, but Silas and Timothy stayed there. And uh, and so once again, Paul is moving on to another place, another city. But let's think about this place, Thessalonica, where this persecution came. They had left Philippi, went to Thessalonica, and persecution uh, caused them to flee to Berea, and then from Berea. Paul had to flee on, but he's riding back to these people at Thessalonica where this mob had been stirred up against him, all right? So now we kind of see the picture and the context here of his writing to them. And he's, he's uh, this is after Paul had separated from Barnabas, had some dispute over John Mark. And uh, so he had to get himself together a new kind of ministry team and he chose Silas. And then along the way, they picked up Timothy also who would help them. So he had this ministry team that was going into these towns. And they were going back to the cities that he and Barnabas had previously visited. And encouraging the cities and strengthening the, 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 the works there. And the works were growing in numbers and things were just uh, going good other than the persecution that they faced. But when Paul went to Thessalonica. All right? Kind of built a base here. Follow me now. When he went to Thessalonica, he went there first of all because God sent him there. Remember he had the dream of a man from Macedonia saying, come over into, Mas into Macedonia. Thessalonica was a city of Macedonia. The Holy Spirit had forbid them from preaching in Asia. And so, uh, and, and then he hears, he has this vision this vision of this man. And Paul seizes on that as the will of God for his ministry team. And they immediately they go to Macedonia and they go to Thessalonica, a city in Macedonia. And there the synagogue begin to preach. Have some success, great success actually, but persecution arose. 
But the reason he went, hear me this morning, is because he believed God sent him. Right. He could do nothing less. He had to go. Yeah. He went there because God called him there. He also went there because it was his purpose to please God. Yes. He, with all of his heart, and he said to them in this letter he wrote, he pointed out how that, that him and his team, when they got there, they're, they're coming to Thessalonica, the first verse we read, was not in vain. There was a there was success, there was fulfillment. And all he was trying to do was please God. Even though they had suffered persecution before they came there, and even though they would suffer it there, his purpose was not to escape persecution. His purpose was to please God. And God enabled them to boldly proclaim the gospel, even in the face of what he called much contention. I mean, when he left one place, he'd go right to the synagogue at the next place. Right to the place where there were going to be people who were going to be offended, people who were going to be angry, people who were going to be jealous and would stir up the others. He could have just went to the Gentiles, but he went first to the Jews. He went first to the synagogue because they had a basis of understanding of the Word of God. You know what? When we're reaching for folks, we've got an advantage if they know something about the Bible. Amen. You know, and, and that's where he would go in the first. But much contention, that word contention that he used comes from a word from which we get the word agony. Much contention. In the face of much agony, he boldly proclaimed the word of God. And he goes on to say, and, and I was not with my speech, my preaching, it was not deceitful, it was not unclean, it was not treacherous. Perhaps he mentioned that because of the accusations that had been brought against them of, uh, of you know, not only turning the world upside down, but uh, things that were not legal, things that were not, things that were against Caesar. Paul went against Caesar. He, he, he said, my, my preaching, it, it was not uh, treacherous. It, it was not a problem. It's just these people stirred it up. And, and, uh, and, and it was just pure. It wasn't unclean. It wasn't deceitful. And so uh, now Paul did not covet, uh, you know, what they had at the synagogue or something like that. He, wasn't, he didn't have ill-conceived motivations in his heart. He's just trying to please God. He's not seeking glory from the people. Uh, he, he, he's seeking only to please God. And he says, you're my witnesses of that. And God is a witness of that. Uh, he went there because God called him. He went there because he was just trying to please God. And he went there because he was sharing the gospel with these Thessalonians because he cared for them. Amen. God called him. It was what he had to do, he felt, to please God. But he also cared for them. Not just because they were souls that needed saving. He cared about that, obviously. Dedicated his life to that. 
but, but he had a place in his heart for these people. He deeply loved and cared for these believers at Thessalonica. And, and he, he recalled how that uh, they had been willing to risk their lives to protect him. So as he writes this letter, you can just feel the affection in his pen as he, as he talks about Jason and those uh, that had, had helped to protect him and had acted immediately to uh, take care of him and, and provide for his safety. He went there because that he was called. He went there because that it was to please God. He went there because he loved these people. He preached there in the face of strong opposition. Now, he cared for them, he, he says, like a, a, a mother cares for her children. He says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherished her children. Her own children. The New King James says, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. He shared the gospel with them. With, with tender care. Uh, those that disbelieved, those who did not receive, those who rejected, they violently rose up against him. But think about the, the comparison here. A mother who travails much pain, much agony. But at the same time, though she travails in labor, she loves the product of that. Right? And that's kind of how Paul feels about this situation. I, I've, I've had much suffering. I've had much contention and resistance and even hatred, but I'm not unhappy about this or disappointed about this because I understand that like a mother, the product of this is so precious, so wonderful, so beautiful. And he loved them so much, like a child who cannot provide for himself, like a child who, you know, gives nothing back for the care that they get. Everything is going into them. Paul did not take anything from them, though as apostle he could have. They should have provided for his financial needs and things like that. But he didn't in this case. Uh, he, he, he refused to do that in this case. And, and he, like a loving mother, he was just... He was just about taking care of them and loving them. Now, in addition to, to, to providing, preaching the gospel to them, if you remember in our reading, he talked about uh, even our souls. We not only gave you the gospel, we were willing to give our very souls. Soul comes from the word psyche. And it, it, it encompasses a lot of things, but but it, it reveals the way Paul was willing to, to get close to them. Right? He was not standoffish. He was not like, I'm an apostle, 
and you guys better hear what I say and do what I say and basically just use them. But he came close to them. He loved them. He was very transparent. Talking about more than just some kind of surface relationship here. Right. Business kind of relationship. The, uh, the word psyche here, here, here's a definition uh, from, from one, uh, one Bible dictionary. The essence of life in terms of thinking, willing, and feeling. The inner self, the mind, the thoughts, the feelings, the heart, the being. He said, we were willing to give all of that for you. Our, our very heart, our feelings, we were invested in you. We, we, we gave willingly of our very lives for you. And, and, and he, he, we were transparent. We didn't do anything to provoke suspicion. We didn't do anything to bring down persecution on you. We were just honest and sincere. We said what needed to be said, what had to be said. We spoke the truth in love, in other words. And, and we weren't trying to con anybody. We weren't trying to, to get something out of you covetously or something like that. Our behavior was blameless. It was just, it was righteous. We were transparent and pure before you, and you're our witnesses of that, he says. Amen. Like a mother. There's something about a mother's pure love. Amen. But not just like a mother, but Paul says also, he said, like a father. Right? There's, there's something about this kind of love, this kind of, uh, of, of care that God provides in bringing people into our lives that is beyond, uh, it, it, it's, you know, mother is a, is a one way of looking at it, but also as a father. And he talks about this because he wants to evoke thoughts in their minds. Just by saying the word like a father. You don't have to go into a lot of detail here because instantly in their minds, they okay, these are good Jews. They're well, well acquainted with the scripture. So they can remember Proverbs 1 and 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father. And forsake not the law of thy mother. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Proverbs 23 and 22. Proverbs 23 and 25. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad. His relationship with these people it encompassed both dimensions, both of like a, a mother and like a father unto them. He cared for them like that. Now, what does a father do? One thing a father will do is exhort his children. Everybody say exhort. That means to cause someone to be encouraged or consoled. And it's not always just verbal. Sometimes we think of exhortation, we instantly think of speaking, right? But, but, but this term actually encompasses also things that you may not actually say with your mouth but you can exhort one another. Um, I heard this morning about a football player. I know this is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, a football player who held a common news conference, held a news conference in which it, he spoke no words. It was a form of protest in a sense. Uh, he, he, I think they he carried, he held some signs up that said things, but he didn't speak any words. It was a silent news conference 
kind of a creative idea of a way to to get some attention and get his point across. But do you, you understand that sometimes we can encourage folks without ever saying a word. We can comfort folks without ever opening our mouth. Sometimes words are insufficient. Sometimes uh, we'll fall short if we try to use words. Sometimes just being there. Sometimes just a look, just, 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 just a glance, eye contact says more. I remember uh, when my dad had his first heart attack 10 years before he had the massive heart attack, passed away. He had that first heart attack. He was rushed to the hospital from Corning. I was in Jonesboro, got the call. I headed to the hospital as quickly as I could get there. Sister Kim and I had just began dating. And uh, I remember uh, they were doing like balloon surgery, but something happened in that. They had to leave the, uh, the catheter, the thing in there, uh, and rush him immediately to surgery. We were in a little room. They brought the family into this little room that was between the waiting room and the hall. There was a door that opened into the hall and they had told us and explained what was happening. They said in just a few minutes, they're gonna be bringing him down this hall headed to the surgery. You'll be able to stand right here and see as he goes by. And so uh, we were all, of course, in shock and, and, and just, uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult for our family. My mother had to sign some papers and stuff. And, and uh, we, uh, we were waiting as they brought him down the hall. They, they, they just paused for just a moment, just slowed down more or less for just a moment, and then off they went because it was an emergency situation. It had to be dealt with very, very quickly. He would be in surgery for several hours. It would be, uh, it would, it would be pretty serious stuff. But I remember as uh, I had not even got to see my dad because I got there, he was locked in. Balloon surgery thing and all of that, and uh, all of this had happened. I mean, you, you know, you wake up one day, you have no idea there's a problem, and all of a sudden, the next thing, uh, you know, Dad knew he's having a heart attack and being rushed to the hospital, and he doesn't have time to call his family, don't have time to do nothing. We're uh, in, in, in uh, and so here he comes down the hall. He's not even had a chance to talk to me and my brother, uh, any of us or anything. And, comes down the hall, they, they paused for just that brief moment. I put my hand on him and looked into his eyes. And in just a matter of seconds, without any verbal communication, his eyes spoke volumes to me. I understood some things that he was saying with just his eyes. Sometimes body language, sometimes things that we do, they say a whole lot more than what we say. Isn't that right? And Paul was like that with him. This word that's used here encompasses not only verbal admonishment, encouragement, comfort, all of that, uh, but it, and sometimes correction, but also in uh, it, it encompasses the fact that he was there with them. It was very clear. He just didn't talk again to say, I care about you. I love you. I'm here not only because God called me, not only because that, that I'm trying to do the will of God, but I'm here because I love you. That's what he's, and, and, and they understood that 
because that like a father, it wasn't just about the things he said. It was the things he did. The father puts bread on the table. The father who makes sure that, that there's, there's protection and provision and all of those things uh, and, and all of that. And, and he, he, he had been like that with them. He had comforted them in many ways. And, and he, he had charged them, verse 11 says. He had charged them. That doesn't mean that he uh, was billing them for his services. But he had challenged them. And that word, uh, well, verse 12 says, to walk worthy of God. The apostle had challenged them to walk worthy of God. This is things that a father does. He challenges his children. He wants them to mature. He wants them to grow. He wants them to, uh, to rise to the level that he sees they can, they can be at, right? I, I mean, you know, there are so many ways that a father does that kind of thing. And here's the deal about Paul. He had the moral right to speak into their lives. Do you, you understand there, there's probably some people in your life that you, you, you understand they have the moral right to speak into your life. Somebody else could, could challenge you on something. Somebody else could, could uh, uh, you know, bring to your attention maybe some error in your life, and you're like, who are you? But there are people in your life that they have the moral right. Why? Because they have been there. Paul had suffered persecution himself. He knew what it was to suffer for this gospel's sake and for the sake of Christ. And so when he comforted them in their suffering, it carried weight. He said, I was like a father unto you. That father who, uh, he, he's, carries weight when he speaks. Uh, it was very, very real. I, I, I'm going to close quickly here this morning, but I want to share a uh, something from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to his, I believe it was his sister. Uh, and he talks about a period of four years in his life. He's writing in 1803, but he's talking about, uh, and he, he, well, just listen. Here's what he writes. From 1793 to 1797, I remained closely at home. Saw none but those that came there. And at length became very sensible of the ill effect it had upon my own mind and of its direct and irresistible tendency to render me unfit for society and uneasy when necessarily engaged in it. Let me, let me just kind of put that in my own words. He said, for four years I just stayed at home. I didn't go out nowhere. And all the people that came to see me is all the people I conversed with that I, uh, that I, that I uh, had fellowship with. Only those, just if somebody came to me, but I did not reach out to nobody. I didn't go knocking on people's doors. I didn't go to visit people. I didn't get out in crowds. I didn't, I stayed at home for four years. 
And he, he's saying, I realized the very ill effect that it had upon my mind. And it rendered me unfit for society. He said, when I'd go out, I was uneasy to engage in conversation or something because I had been so alone for four years. Let's pick up where, he left, where we left off here. He said, I, I felt enough of the effect of withdrawing from the world then to see that it led to an antisocial and misanthropic state of mind. Misanthropic, I didn't know what that meant. I had to look that up. I had Blake look it up for me. Uh, basically, it means, means uh, it's getting where you just don't like being around people. You don't like people that much. He said, I felt enough of the effect of withdrawing from the world then to see that it led to antisocial and misanthropic state of mind, which severely punishes him who gives into it. And it will be a lesson I shall never forget as to myself. He said, I learned a lesson that that cost me, that affected me, and I should not have clothed in upon myself like that. God puts people in our lives. Hear me this morning. Yes. Said all that to say this. God puts people in our lives provide for our needs. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. And it is no accident that He as a supreme and awesome Father and like a mother unto us would orchestrate in His vast ability and mind intersections with people, encounters with people, and connections and relationships that will make us better. Amen? Amen. He absolutely will do that. It's true. It's true. People that will love us people that will care for us, and people that will be willing to be kind, people that will be willing to, 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 people that have a willing heart to care for others. Now, in light of what Thomas Jefferson said there, let me tell you, isolation, they put it this way, spiritual isolation is dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Amen. A healthy spiritual life develops not in a vacuum but in within relationships found in the body of Christ and God not only brings people into our lives for our benefit but also brings us into people's lives their benefit. Amen. Alright? As a healthy church, we've got to be a church that is looking to not only know the will of God, have a vision from God, and I believe God has given us much in the past year or so yes. of that in this body, this assembly, 
not only to have a heart to just please God, and I believe God has given us that in this assembly. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Tuesday night prayer meeting we've been having we've been having great attendance. Yeah. Almost as much as we have on church night at Tuesday night prayer meeting. There's a passion, desire in our hearts to please God. To fulfill His will, to please Him, that's in our hearts. But you know what? God also wants us to have and demonstrate it in the life of the magnificent Apostle Paul. He wants us to not just be about reaching the lost in this world because He's given us a vision for it, because we want to do His will. Not so we get involved in missions and this is Mission Sunday just because God's got a vision for the world. He's given us that. And, and because that to do the will of God, we've got to go into all nations and preach the gospel. But hear me this morning. God wants us to not remain aloof and off and distant, but to fall in love with his people. Amen. To fall in love with this city. Yes. To fall in love with the people out there that have a hunger for God and just don't know how to express it. Don't know how to pursue it. They need the way he explained more perfectly. But you know what? God sent us Brother Morgan said, God's given us to the land in a sense. And, and, and I, I do believe that God has strategically placed us in this city or this town. Amen. Let's not rest on our laurels. Let's not rest on, well, you know, uh, 10 years ago, uh, we... We're doing more now than we did 10 years ago, you know, and just be satisfied with the measure of success that we've been given. God wants us to get his vision. God wants us to desire to please him, but God also wants us to fall in love with people. Amen. Enough that we can be transparent, enough that we can be uh, bold and speak truth and love enough that we can be motivated to be affectionate and caring and reaching and giving of our own selves our feelings our emotions our uh, to, to be invested in them to that extent that I, I believe that that is one of the the, the things that, that made the Apostle Paul such a great evangelist and missionary, I believe it is, and, and allowed him to establish churches and grow churches one after another. He had, and there was a success uh, record that was there. Amen. I appreciate our our home missionary, our North American missionary, Brother Matters, that we're supporting. One of the things that I appreciate is the fact that that when we're invested in him, we know we're invested in somebody who's been there, Amen, and done it before. 
He poured himself into the city of Philadelphia. And now he's in New York. And I believe he's going to do the same thing there. Yeah. As a church, as a church, God work on us. God work on us. That we just don't. Okay. God wants us to go in all the world. Okay, God, I want to do your will and be motivated by those two things. But I, I believe that one of the success, the success of every great pastor depends upon him loving those people. It's, it's, a, it's part of the mix. Of, it, it don't work without it. And God will give a pastor a love for the people. God will supernaturally do that. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of God. The Bible says, I'll give you pastors after my own heart. You remember, David was a man after God's own heart. Only man in Scripture that the Bible says that. He was a liar. He was a he, he, he uh, cheated on his wife. He, he, all kind of things you could say about David. Yet he's the only man in Scripture that God says, that the Scripture says he's a man after God's own heart. David had an interest in finding out what God's passions were. David had an interest in finding out what God's feelings were. He wasn't satisfied to just know what God said. He wanted to know how God felt. Yeah. Huh? A man after God's heart. Amen. There are people that, that fall in love with the Word, and we ought to fall in love with the Word. That will reveal the heart. We'll search it. But, but he was a man after God's own heart. And then God says through the prophet, the Old Testament, he says, I believe it was Jeremiah, he says, I'm going to give you pastors or shepherds after my own heart. It's going to lead you. I'm going to tell you as a shepherd today, I feel, I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost today to try as best I can to lead us, amen, to have to, to, to experience and to know the feelings of God. Amen. The passions of God. Yeah. Just how he feels about things. Yeah. I mean, it's not enough to just know, okay, well, did he say it or did he not say it? What's he, what, what's he say about this and what's he say about that? Uh, maybe we ought, to, what we ought to be kind of looking for and sensing for is how does he feel about that? You know? Because some folks just look and see what they can get by with it. But others are looking and saying, God, what? I want to know how you feel. A man after God's own heart. I believe God is raising up a generation in this time right now that is after his heart. That has the passion of God flowing in them. And, and, and they, they love people because, because they have experienced God's love for people. And, and, and once they have fully experienced that, they, they delved into something that just gets a hold of them and they, they feel that and they feel that toward others and that, yeah. that